This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 17, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Urban planners of many stripes want to make mobility more expensive. But why? The romanticized plans for walkable neighborhoods and dense urban settings are notions from a past that largely only existed for the very wealthy. Mobility, says Cato Institute senior fellow Randall O'Toole, has value independent of any central planner's dreams. His new book, Gridlock, is available at catostore.org. The Secretary of Transportation, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, and the Director of the Environmental Protection Agency have uh, signed an agreement to require metropolitan areas to limit mobility of the people in those metropolitan areas. They're going to require them to write plans that aim to reduce the amount of driving we do. Now, what people don't think about much, because we take it for granted, is that the automobile has provided us with the tremendous amount of personal mobility that we didn't have before the automobile. Uh, a lot of people like to imagine a, some kind of a golden age where we all rode around on trains or bicycles or streetcars, but the reality is only the wealthy could do that. And the wealthy didn't do all that much of it. The average American only traveled in 1900 about 200 miles a year by uh, intercity train and another two or 300 miles a year by streetcar. Uh, and today we're traveling 18,000 miles per person per year, almost all of it by automobile or airplane. So uh, the idea that we can go back to some kind of age when we can just have intercity high-speed trains and streetcars is foolish. It's not going to work. Mobility has given us a tremendous amount of benefits. For one thing, it gives employers access to far more workers. If you can draw workers from a 30-mile radius instead of a 1-mile radius, because you can only get to the ones who are, can reach you on foot. Uh, because it gives ac- employers access to more workers, the workers are more productive and the employers can pay workers more. So mobility has been associated with a seven-fold increase in, in real inflation-adjusted incomes since uh, Henry Ford developed the, the, the uh, mass production uh, Model T Ford. So this huge increase in income is largely due to that mobility. Mobility gives us access to lower-cost consumer goods. It gives us access to a wide range of social and recreation opportunities. So when the Obama administration says they want to coerce people out of their cars, when places like the city of Portland adopt plans that aim to reduce per capita driving by two-thirds in the next 40 years, we're talking about not just reducing people's mobility, but reducing their incomes, reducing their access to consumer goods, reducing their social and recreation opportunities. And these kinds of impacts will fall hardest on low-income people because they're going to be the ones who don't, won't have access to alternatives. Planners romanticize that, that uh, aspect of reduced mobility that is traveling by this way or that way and that but they're only romanticizing the plan like what's within the plan they're not romanticizing what is within individuals plans well they're rom- they're romanticizing the plan as it worked for the rich uh, there's a, a planning advocate named James Howard Kunstler who gave a speech uh, a few years ago in which he said imagine living in Chicago in 1881 and you could take a train from your downtown office to a wonderful suburban neighborhood 
and uh, it was a glorious way to live. Yes, it was for the 10% who could afford to live that way, or maybe 20%. But the vast majority of Americans were confined to travel on foot. They couldn't afford trains. They couldn't afford streetcars. Even as late as 1910, uh, most travel in America was on foot. So uh, the idea that we can go back to that age and not lose the incomes that we've gained since then, not lose the, the spread of mobility throughout our population that we've gained since then, is just uh, a, a fantasy. The reality is that we're going to severely cripple the economy. We're going to harm lots and lots of uh, low-income and middle-income people if we try to implement these plans aimed at reducing people's mobility. There's this feeling that we can substitute transit, cycling, and walking uh, for driving if we just put everything closer together, if we have grocery stores within 20 minutes of everybody, if we have uh, office parks and restaurants and so on located within 20 minutes. But that's not the way people want to live. They want to have a choice of grocery stores. They want grocery stores to compete for their business and not be limited to the one that's within walking distance. They want to be able to live in multi-income households and not everybody in the household is going to be able to work in the place that's located within 20 minutes of their home. And people like to have a house with a yard. And if everybody's got a house with a yard, we're not going to be able to be compact enough that everybody can be within 20 minutes of work or 20 minutes of, of a grocery store. So the idea that we can pack people in and not lose the things that we've gained in the last century uh, is, is uh, as I say, simply a fantasy. Randall O'Toole is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and author of the new Cato book, Gridlock. It's available for purchase at catostore.org.